as you become a successful open source maintainer, you start becoming more and more overwhelmed with all these issues and, and demands and feedback coming in from across your community. Unfortunately, there's a lot of projects that are abandoned. In part, that is because they're not getting proper funding to be able to do this full time or stay committed to it. How do you improve funding within open source? And how can open source maintainers get better funding behind their initiatives? Hey, this is Brian, and you're listening to Jamstack Radio, a bi-weekly series where we discuss modern web development with maintainers, founders, and developers. Jamstack Radio is brought to you by Heavybit, the leading investor and developer-first startups. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter, at Jamstack Radio. Welcome to another installment of Jamstack Radio on the line. We've got Burke with Polar. Burke, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Glad to be here. Uh, super excited to chat with you today. Yeah, yeah. And we, we, actually, we connected sometime last year, uh, had a, a couple chats actually. And actually, I got wind of something you were working on, which is Polar. Yeah. And um, super happy to see that it's out live, ready to go. People can use it today, uh, polar.sh. But first, did you want to give us an like, introduction of, of Burke? Uh, tell us who you are and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so my name is Burke. I'm Swedish, based out of Stockholm here. So I'm a self-taught developer and, and the founder and CEO of Polar, which we'll probably get into in a minute. Husband, father of two, uh, soon. I'm expecting a daughter around the corner. Oh, congratulations. Uh, thank you very much. And yeah, started developing when I was really young at 10 years old. Accidentally right-clicked view page source on my favorite website when I was 10. And <laughs> since then... Uh, I've been doing this thing for 25 years now, uh, which has been uh, amazing. Wow, awesome. Yeah, and you, you have a, a bit of a track record too as well because you had um, at least one startup that was acquired by Shopify previously as well. So can you talk about a bit of your background in uh, consultancy, but then also that experience as well? Yeah, of course. So since I started out at a very young age, I ran a consultancy agency throughout uh, high school. At the age of 10? Um, not <laughs> not at the age, age of 10. Uh, I, I did do some clients at the age of 12, I think. That was the earliest. But uh, I really got into the groove of things at 16, 17, working for a large newspaper in Sweden at the time. And then I met uh, three buddies that became my co-founders of this company called Ticktail, which was an e-commerce platform that was really successful at the time and morphed into a marketplace as well. And back in 2018, we were acquired by Shopify to essentially lead the mandate of what the consumer side of Shopify should look like, which became the shop app experience and, and shop pay eventually as well. So I was the director of product there for about three years, uh, which was a lot of fun building that out uh, before I left and started Polar. Yeah, yeah. And I've actually, uh, I've used the shop pay experience and uh, yeah, it's a great experience. Like That's awesome. Yeah, having like my email to sort of like know what to do and when and if someone's using Shopify behind the scenes, like some random Instagram or content creator t-shirt thing that I'm, I'm purchasing. Yeah, it's, just, it's pretty seamless. So uh, great job there. Thank you. I mean, the team should definitely take the credit, and especially since I haven't been there for, for a few years now, but it's an amazing experience, an amazing app. Very cool. But uh, speaking of amazing experience in apps, you're now working on Polar.sh. So want to understand and like get to know the story of Polar and, and basically what purpose it serves for now, I guess, the open source community. 
Yeah, so to take a step back, uh, Polar and, and what Polar is, is, is essentially trying to solve the holy grail issue of how do you improve funding within open source and how can open source maintainers get better funding behind their initiatives. And to make a very long story short, uh, I was developing this thing on, on the side and I needed to integrate an OAuth provider. And this was something I did back at Ticktail 2012. There was no open source library at the time, so I developed it myself. It took about three weeks to do. Now I found this library called Authlib, and an hour later I had solved that same problem 10 years later, thanks to open source. And this happens so many times, right? And you, like I just get chills even talking about it, you fall in love all over again with open source. But the next thing I saw is that they're getting like almost nothing in sponsorship. So that's the problem we're trying to pursue and solve. And today, how we're going about that is recognizing that one of the bigger problems is that as you become a successful open source maintainer, you start becoming more and more overwhelmed with all of these issues and, and demands and feedback coming in from across your community. And they're all treated the same today. And so with Polar, you have this ability now to essentially crowdsource funding across your audience for specific issues or features that are impactful for them and that they can pool capital across those communities uh, to help fund those specific efforts, uh, which helps the maintainers get more of a funded backlog, which is stack ranked based on impactful priorities. And for their audience, rather than just plus oneing or waiting across issues or forking them and trying to ineffectively patch these things themselves, they can now proactively help fund and upvote those those features. Yeah, it's, it's a classic. Um, actually, we're just having this conversation internally at Open Source because it's the, the classic decision of engineering team finds a solution out there. It kind of works for them, but the question now is, do they support upstream and like as a, as a company support upstream or go build it themselves? And I think there was a, a solution that was like six euros. It was like the last time there was a commit push to it. So like. I think we ended up making the decision of okay, we're just gonna like add it to our lib folder and like solve the problem, move on. Cause there was like apparently no community in this project and it solved like one specific problem for us. But a lot of times, like we see like a lot of the markdown libraries, like could we do a lot of front end react stuff? There'll be like a solved solution upstream and it works. And I think this actually happened this actually happened to me uh, a couple jobs ago. Found the markdown library, it worked, but it didn't work for specifically tables. And what we wanted is like to repeat tables that worked just like GitHub. Uh, I know it's like a solved problem today, but like I ended up going upstream and then f- not really getting to the point of fixing it, but I ended up doing enough work that someone else can go <laughs> take it over the finish line yeah. of getting yeah. GitHub flavored markdown tables working in a random Angular markdown. Anyway, long story short, like there was a problem. I had a half a solution. I threw my sort of experienced into the issue. And then the hope is like that's enough that someone else can come along and pick it up, or get enough attention that someone can can essentially just get the maintainer to do it as well. So, uh, but it sounds like with Polar, like there's now you can you can provide an incentive or a like an awareness campaign around things that need to be done. Yeah, exactly. And I think going back to the first case you mentioned, right? Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of projects that are abandoned. Uh, it's a quite common problem, right? And in part, that is because they're not getting proper funding uh, to be able to do this full-time or stay committed to it. 
And so I think in your case, right, the ideal solution would hopefully be that the project was still very much alive and that the maintainer was still running that project because they were the expert in that domain. And so for you and your business, it's not that we're preventing you from creating a fork or patching things and pushing things upstream, but often that's ineffective and you want to spend focus on your own products and you have scarce resources. And so now instead you have the opportunity to say, hey, we would love to have this feature. And if that aligns with you and your goals with this initiative, we're happy to help fund that initiative together with the rest of the community as well to help solve your problems as well as their problems with with funding. Yeah, yeah. And so you, you actually, when did you officially launch? Uh, I know we've been chatting off and on, so like, I don't remember what the actual date was, but how long has it been live and ready to go? Uh, so we launched our private alpha in mid-May, and then we opened up for public signups uh, end of June. So we've been live now for a month. Okay. Yeah, and how's the, how's the response been so far for, for Polar? Uh, it's been really amazing. I mean, there's several hundred maintainers using the platform today, uh, having more than 3,000 uh, repositories connected with several thousands of different issues uh, with our Polar badge embedded. So that's a very important part, which is maintainers can basically control and say, these issues or these features, like those are the ones that I would love to get funding for, or allow people to crowdsource funding for. And because it's a GitHub app, it's deeply integrated and just automatically embeds that in a seamless and beautiful way. So, I mean, the growth has been really, really awesome to see. And what's more amazing to me is just like on our Discord, seeing people that are joining in and the sentiment and excitement around the long-term intent of Polar and what we're building towards. And I think on a personal note, the maintainer that I mentioned behind Authlib uh, actually joined Polar organically the other week and just DM saying, great work. That was a really special moment. Yeah, that's pretty serendipitous too as well. Like this, uh, yeah. you know, you, you never know where the uh, random interactions and, and contributions in open source were going to lead to. Um, I personally, like I've, I've had the benefit of working with folks that I, I've interacted with in open source and like uh, having them leverage open source and get insights into their projects. Yeah. Uh, but I, how rewarding is that that the Oplib uh, person is now leveraging Polar and now you can provide a, a bit of value that after you got some value from them and, and their library. Yeah, it's it's really really special, and also Polar is open source as well, and so. Uh, even having people starting to con- contribute now, filing feature requests and issues. like it, It's been really, really amazing. Yeah, and you mentioned the, the GitHub app. So like, what's the interaction? Like, I'm a maintainer, I just heard this podcast, and now I'm probably on your website already checking it out. Like, yeah. What's the next step? What's the interaction for them? Yeah, so you would log in using your GitHub account. So it's an OAuth integration. And the next step is that you can connect your repositories. And you have full control which repositories you want to connect. Once you do that, we, in real time, show how we synchronize all of your issues and pull requests associated with those repositories. So that the next thing you're presented with is the Polar dashboard, where you can see all of your issues sorted by most wanted, which is a combination of upvotes and thumbs up uh, and reactions on GitHub, as well as future pledges and funding towards those specific issues. Um, and then you can customize you know, the badge as well as the context on how that badge is embedded across your issues. 
And you can decide if you want to badge all of the issues or just one-on-one through the Polar dashboard or even on GitHub just using the Polar label. Very cool. Excellent. Yeah, I've uh, I've got more thoughts and ideas uh, on just that, the sort of uh, reaction things that we could talk about after um, <laughs> after recording because uh, we have a, a project we're actually working progress right now on. Uh, so I'm not able to talk about it yet, but maybe the next episode we'll talk about we'll talk about it and we'll talk about our, our amazing connection to Polar um, after. So if you haven't subscribed and you found this randomly on Twitter, please subscribe to the podcast, people. Yeah. So. The one thing I wanted to touch on, because you had this quote, uh, Substack for for open source. Can you explain like your longer-term vision for Polar itself? Yeah, of course. So today, basically, I think the problem within open source is that it's pretty binary. So it's either free open source where there's donations and sponsorship, but that's coffee money and not nearly enough to run these initiatives full-time. Or you have commercial open source where there's only a few players around. They're typically venture-backed and only a very, very few subset of open source initiatives are eligible for that. And so the long-term vision for Polar is essentially how do you create a platform to build independent entrepreneurship within open source? And our fundamental principle and belief here is that that is about enabling maintainers to seamlessly craft add-on services and subscriptions on their existing initiatives today. So what Polar is today is essentially like prioritized issues or prioritized support, uh, expanding that even further to premium educational content, uh, newsletters and updates to their backers, as well as premium packages that you can install through specific registries. Like All of these things are things that we want to build for maintainers to seamlessly be able to tap into and upsell to their audience to get more backers for those services. Okay, yeah, I mean that makes sense because this is—I guess a lot of GitHub folks would know this—but like we we shipped GitHub sponsors a couple years, like quite a few years ago, and there was a huge push like 2019, 2020 around the creator economy, like even more so in 2020, 2021, yeah. uh, especially when Patreon raised their whatever their last round of funding was, but. GitHub is like it's an interesting place because it's a bunch of creators, but no one thinks of themselves as like the you know content creators. Because if you have to like be like an influencer on whatever social media platform, it kind of detracts away from you shipping code. So like I think I just saw a tweet earlier today about someone saying like new developers you don't need to be an influencer like just learn how to code and that's it. <laughs> like yeah, create content when you're ready to create content, but like learn how to code first. Because yeah. uh, like there's a huge drop off of folks coming out of bootcamp and going to DevRel and like not getting the actual skill of being a developer. But I guess what I'm getting at is like GitHub is like full of content creators, but the tooling is is always been lackluster. And I think the uh, I know the GitHub sponsors team. Uh, you, I know you listen to this podcast because you're you're a fan of me and I'm a fan of you. But like there's always been a goal to get to that point where you have more tooling for creators and uh, maintainers, creators like I'm using them interchangeably, but like there is a special maintainer who can create and, and deliver content and those folks have figured it out but like there's still a pathway for folks to like level up and i think uh with your future vision your long-term vision that makes it a ton of sense uh, and i can see a lot of um like uh, future synergies with folks at on github but honestly like I, my question would be like does it stop at github because like obviously repelit does also have a huge community uh, of I guess Gen Z developers. I don't know. Like yeah. it's it's a different wave of development, but 
it's a it's a community that everyone should be paying attention to right now. Hundred percent, as well as Hugging Face uh, is another one, or you have GitLab as well. Yeah, and our goal with Polar is definitely to be a platform that can support all of these different platforms where you're hosting your code and collaborating with your communities. And I think the the difference there is to go back to the point around GitHub is I think this platform around being a creator or an entrepreneur or running a business around your open source initiative is very much a platform that is on top of where you're hosting your code and running your pull requests and collaborating with your community because there's so many unique features we need to build around like how do you manage accounting and taxes and, and so forth around that. And so I, that's what Polar aims to build and be that platform and, and, and service you as a maintainer regardless of where your community is based today. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, I... <laughs> All my interests, they align with where, where Polar is going. And uh, I think you're onto something uh, there for sure, 100%. And I think uh, the folks that are listening to this and the folks that are doing stuff, really cool things in the open source, should definitely check it out for sure. I kind of ran through all my questions. Like, what else did you want to cover as far as Polar and like feature set and things that people should be paying attention to? Well, I think one really important part is the fact that we're building Polar open source ourselves. So our entire code base is live on GitHub, Polar source slash Polar under the Apache 2.0 license. And so the, sh the shameless plug here is that if you're an open source maintainer and you're excited about this vision and what we're building towards, please know that we're building this in, in public and open source and we would love to have you join that journey and help shape our iterations and how we get there long term and that we're really building it for maintainers. So join in on the fun on Discord and on our GitHub uh, to help shape the future. Yeah, and what's your thoughts? Uh, I guess... I have an answer, but I'm curious your, your thought on why you chose Apache 2.0. Um, yeah, that's a great question. So open source licensing is a podcast topic all on its own. Yes. Uh, so the short answer is uh, we wanted a permissive license. And I went with Apache 2.0 because it's one of the more standard licenses out there that everyone's very, very comfortable with. They know intuitively by heart today. And I think there are some challenges with Apache 2.0, which is, of course, that someone could just fork this repository, build a proprietary solution on top themselves as a competitor. But ultimately, I think for Polar to become successful, it's more about building this community and the platform for maintainers uh, rather than the IP and the code itself. So that, that's why we went with the Apache 2.0. Yeah, I, I think the uh, the open source name is uh, something I'm very proud of. But also, there's a lot of a lot of uh, name conflicts. So, like, we went 2.0 as well. Uh, and I, I honestly, I just copied Superbase because I figured, okay, what is Superbase doing? They're doing some they're having <laughs> some success over there. So, yeah, but like the licensing thing is a uh, it's a thing that I, I don't want to put too much thought into because I don't want to become a lawyer. But yeah. it's something that everyone should think about once you get a little bit of success from from open source and like how the project basically lives in the ecosystem and out in the open. And also, it's it's one thing I've come up recently is uh, especially like selling your open source project as like a cloud offering. Like folks do look at the license and want to know like what this is going to look like and when success look success or they get value from from your product. Um, can they continue to like? go down the path of value or does it hit a ceiling because of a weird, I don't know, random Facebook meta meta license that was attached to the project? 
Exactly. Especially now with the open source supply chain and all the software around that for larger enterprises where they're scanning these licenses automatically. And yeah, there's a, there's a debate to be had there. I think there's a lot of innovations on the licensing side, which is amazing, like the BSL, for instance. But typically the OSI licenses are the easiest to go with to create the least amount of friction if you want to sell to larger companies or enterprises. Yeah, 100%. Like sometimes you got to you got to do a little bit of pattern matching and sort of like fit within the framework, which like I'm I'm, I'm seeing there's like a speed of framework. I know there's a, a bit of a conversation, sorry, like sort of like moving away from our original conversation, but there's a tweet that actually went out today around actually yesterday around Stack Overflow and the trend of folks who are leveraging Stack Overflow over uh, things like ChatGPT and uh, other resources, but like the trend's pretty shocking. Like from 2022, uh, it's like this a downward curve, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. And like where everyone leveraged Stack Overflow as a knowledge base for developers, the knowledge is going other places. And I, I personally think it is inside. It's on the creator side where folks are answering questions in different places. But I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts and if you saw that tweet go out. So I didn't see the tweet, but uh, I guess, unfortunately the trend doesn't surprise me that much. Just noticing my own pattern, right? Uh, I think ChatGPT or Copilot that I'm using just automatically uh, ensures that some of the questions that you run into, they're basically automatically answered by Copilot as you're coding away. Yeah. Uh, but also as we're building Polar open source, I have noticed whether through issues or contributions, that there is this very beautiful back and forth uh, between the maintainers and the community. And uh, in some of those cases, there's developers that are probably more on the, on the junior side that are still doing great contributions. And then you can help educate them a little bit as you're doing the review of the pull requests, which is a win-win for, for both sides, which has been amazing. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I dropped uh, the, the link to the tweet in the, the show notes, but it, my thought is like, you take an open source library, the person who created the thing, if they could have the tools to like explain the thing and answer the questions, uh, and I think also it, it, there's another trend, like GitHub Discussions also made this where a lot of those answers are now in-house next to the code. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Discord's in the whole other another tool as well. But there's other places to get answers, and I think going back to like even my mention of Replit uh, and like even TikTok developers, specifically developers who who do TikTok videos. Yeah. There's a new form of education. I think I actually spent the weekend like using TikTok as a search engine because I just wanted to see something done. And I knew like people have they're doing everyone's doing AI. And I know there's an example somewhere on TikTok of like, oh, here's a quick, here's my 30 second build a thing. And I just want to see the video. Like I, I just want to see someone type. And I think that's the benefit of a Everyone is now remote. Like I, I don't sit in a room. Like I, got, I was lucky enough to sit in the same room with uh, last week with my engineers, uh, and we just like sort of like cranked out some code together. But we have to like all get on a plane to do that. You got to plan uh, session. So now I can get that experience of like looking over someone's shoulder by the content they create. And I think if like tools like Polar, I guess what I was getting at is like the tools like Polar is like if you build the pieces for people to be successful and distribute information. And I think before we even hit record, it was like the challenge of being a founder and even talking about your product and having like a framework to like consistently give change log or updates. All that type of tooling is extremely needed because I think um, we we spent a lot of time looking at trends um, and seeing uh, what I was at GitHub, but also what I'm doing now, 
of projects that are up and coming. Yeah. And all the projects that either take off, either have like, they're simple enough that anybody can understand and use, or it's got good marketing. So like there's a readme, there's like a docs page, there's like infrastructure for people to be successful. And that unfortunately is like where success lies in open source today. Like not, not so much the case 20 years ago, but today if you have a little bit of a brand or a little bit of like a, a sticky situation, like people will come back for it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's our mission and goal with Polar, right? Is to basically equip maintainers with all that tooling to help them leverage these aspects of becoming a creator within open source without that becoming an overhead or a bottleneck, which it is today. Yeah. Uh, just remove the entire friction. And then for maintainers to experiment, what works for them? And I think the important part there is What's different today from so many years ago is as soon as someone starts to become successful within any given domain, they start to become like a leading example for others on how you can achieve the same type of success. Yeah. Uh, so, so hopefully that is something we'll see with Polar as well, that we can enable a lot of these maintainers and that they can in turn make sure that this becomes more of a common and normal thing within open source. Awesome. Amazing. Yeah. So... Yeah, Burke, thanks so much for the conversation on Polar. Uh, I do want to transition us to picks. Uh, folks, definitely check out polar.sh uh, if this is all interesting to you, or at least tell a friend about it. And uh, so jam picks, these are things that we're jamming on. Could be music, could be food-related, could be tech-related. Uh, and if you don't mind, I'm going to go first. Of course. So I've got a pick that I actually started. I've been looking at this for a while, and I've been talking to the, the creator and the maintainer, because it's also open source. Uh, but if you're familiar with like bit.ly, bit.ly, someone has created dub.sh, which is an open source Bitly, so you, you have the ch- choice. You can you can uh, self host this, um, and I think it's a well. I, I know it's a Vercel team member, so like a self hosting on Vercel, and, which, and they use serverless functions to do the link tracking on the stuff. It's it's pretty nifty software. Like a, a decision we had to make at Open Source, like do we build this ourselves or do we should use Dubbed SH? So uh, obvious choice is going to use a thing that has a community and that's open source. So we're doing that. And so far, so good. We have this uh, URL, which is oss.fyi. And uh, we haven't done this yet because the API hasn't shipped yet. But like uh, the beauty of this being open source is like we can track and follow along and help provide some support and feedback. But then we're going to use the hosted version uh, when the API gets uh, shipped as well. So the goal is that any shared uh, link off of open source will have an oss.fyi link. And that will be our short URL or short code. And I'm super excited about this because it's like a thing I've built a few times, not as well, but to be able to like work off the hard work of Stephen Tay who uh, who built this, like I'm just like super like off the moon. And speaking of which, like creators, maintainers, like Stephen, Hassam, like the Vercel team, they're just shipping a bunch of really cool projects and like throwing them out in the open. And uh, I, I think they would be really good candidates for for Polar uh, because it's all side side work nights and weekends for them. Oh, maybe they actually, I don't know, maybe I have this book. Maybe they might be doing this for their day job as well because they're selling selling deploys on on Vercel as well. But yeah, what I'm getting at is looking forward to like just getting started with this this engagement with dub.sh. Definitely recommend people check it out. Uh, have you used it at all or taken a look? Yeah, yeah, I have. I, I think it's I think dub.sh is an amazing product. Uh, Steven, like his velocity is just insane. It's so inspiring. And the product is both beautiful, open source, and really well executed. And I love the domain OSS.fyi as well. Can't can't wait to see it. 
I actually talked to Steven a couple years ago. We were at a just a random like dev dinner, and uh, I think he, he's having a conversation of like as DevRel, should he just go like go speak and do a bunch of random stuff? I, I don't attribute his success to me, but I remember telling him specifically, Steven, you need to like ship more examples. Like yeah. that's your skill set. Like there's no need to like go to a bunch of other random stuff. And I think in DevRel, sometimes we get a little lost in the sauce, thinking we have to go travel the world and create a YouTube channel and do like everything when like at the end of the day, it's just getting the examples in front of the, the developers so they can be successful on your platform. Yeah. Uh, and he does a really, like, the entire team does a really good job on that. So shout out to the Vercel DevRel team. Uh, I did have one more pick, which is the tool we've been using for, man, eight years to record this podcast, uh, which is Zencaster. Zencaster has uh, just updated the UI, which kind of threw me off this morning. Uh, but if you are looking to record a podcast, I just want to shout out Zencaster because they've been like tried and true. Uh, like pretty much no downtime. I think we had one issue years ago when Apple shipped the AirPods and the Bluetooth technology would not work inside the Chrome browser without interference. Yeah. But yeah, as an early adopter, like that was figured out and uh, super, super grateful for the team and what they've done for the past. Well, they've been doing this for longer than eight years, like probably 10, 10 years at this point. But use them for a previous podcast and brought them, brought them to Jamstack Radio. First time I'm using it, but I love the experience as well from someone joining in on my end. Excellent. Yeah. Any picks you got? Uh, yeah, I have, two, I have two picks. Bit geeky in nature. So the first one is a new newsletter called Dot Files uh, by Adib Hanna. So I found this just a couple of weeks ago, and I think it's only been around for a few months. But it's essentially a weekly newsletter. I think it's weekly where Adib is interviewing developers about their dot files and their development setup. And I just absolutely love it. I look forward to it every single week. Uh, and I always pick up like some new gem that I can pick up into my own toolkit. The other one, sort of in the same vein, is Textual by Will McGugan. Sorry if I'm pronouncing his name wrong. Uh, from the Textualize team. So Will built Rich, uh, which is... An amazing library if you're building anything on it for the terminal command line interfaces uh, to do them prettier and more of a user experience. And now they're building Textual, which is just blowing my mind on a daily basis on Twitter, what they're able to do within the terminal and what this library, in effect, enables others to build within the terminal. Yeah, I was going to ask, Textual, it sounds familiar. Could you explain a bit more of like what, uh, what they're doing? So I think if I remember correctly, their their pitch is if you're a Python developer, and obviously Python is a language that's very, very popular across many developers, you can develop applications for the terminal and even for the web purely using Python and in a very, very seamless way without you having to bother too much with the nitty-gritty of the UI within the terminal. And they're shipping a lot of awesome stuff basically on a daily basis. And the apps and tools that people are able to build and what you can see now across the community are really awesome to see. Very cool. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. To take a look at the website, this is uh, <laughs> absolutely magical. Yeah. Uh, as someone who's currently working on a CLI tool. Oh, nice. Just some inspiration here. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, Burke, thanks so much for the again for the conversation and the picks. And the listeners, keep spreading the jam. That's all we have time for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. 
This show is brought to you by Heavybit, the leading investor and developer for startups. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com.